The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from The Calling Academy, using research and online courses to empower people from all faiths and spiritual paths to live a full life. Learn how to answer your call at callingacademy.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Felicia Ruiz, a natural food activist, traditional herbalist, and health-based private chef with deep family roots in northern New Mexico. I want to read you something that she wrote. My kitchen, she wrote, is a living and breathing space where I translate my cultural knowledge into modern dishes that nourish, heal, stimulate, and delight the palate. Her essay, Learning the Personalities of Plants, appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine, and I am very much looking forward to discussing something about which I know nothing. So, Felicia Ruiz, welcome to Essential Conversations. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, this is this was the article was fascinating, uh, and and there's a lot that I hope we can we can cover in a very short time of twenty minutes. But I wanted to start with something that just really spoke to me. So you wrote this uh, in the uh, essay. You said that your people's songs, dances, and foods were often celebrated and kept alive by disguising them and marrying them into Catholic and Spanish traditions. Yes. And that that really spoke to me because that's very true for Jews who were forced to undergo in the late 15th century in Spain and Portugal. Uh, the church gave them basically three options, convert, run away, or die. And many of those who converted kept their Judaism alive by disguising it as Catholic and Spanish tradition. So tell us a little bit about, about how your family, your family upbringing and, and how they mm, preserved their heritage. Well, where my family is from um, in northern New Mexico, a lot of people there are a blend of different some might not want to admit that they have indigenous blood, but almost everyone has um, an indigenous ancestor. Maybe they don't know about them. And a lot of the traditions that we follow, they're just woven into so many different things that we do there. Um, some of the sacred sites that are that were built on the, the missions were built on sacred sites. We have different things uh 
like holy earth, but if you've ever been to New Mexico, there's a space there called Chimayo, and you can go there and get holy dirt that's used for healing. But those places, a lot of them were built on sacred sites. And so some of the people uh, throughout, you know, generations, they would keep those traditions alive, even though they had to incorporate them like so many other indigenous people into the Catholic faith. And that right there is just a perfect example. People that would make, you know, pilgrimage to to Chimayo, they would get the sacred earth and they would say a prayer, they would say a, a rosary, or they would ask, you know, help um, to the different saints and to the Virgin and Jesus, although a lot of the people might not know, and many do know, that they're, um, that dirt, that sacred holy dirt where that church was built was actually built on um, a place that was revered for long before the missionaries got there. So, Felicia, I was just curious, are, are people interested in reclaiming that heritage, the indigenous part of themselves, or are a lot of people just, I don't want to know anything about it? Oh, no, quite the opposite. Uh, many of my cousins, um, who all grew up being labeled Hispanic, we are just excited to find out more about our Native ancestry uh, depending which family you're from in New Mexico, especially um, some people, they shy away from being um, labeled anything but Spanish. They like to think of themselves only as Spanish um, just because that was part of assimilation. So for me and for many people in my family, we really try to reclaim our indigenous ancestry because that's, to me... I feel like we're giving our ancestors a voice that they didn't have, and we're in a space now that we can do that. So for me, it's through food, it's through medicine, um, it's through sun dancing, it's through all the different things that have been taken away from us, reclaiming that history. It's very important, at least for me, you know, to share with my daughter and, and the rest of my community. How old is your daughter? She's 16. So is she open to this, interested in this? Oh, very much, yes. She's still a typical 16-year-old, but um, she obviously has been around our foods and um, our dances, um, the gardening, all the different herbs, all the different things that, you know, I have been able to, to bring forth to our table that my mother shared with me. I feel like my generation, the ones that are interested in this, that we actually have a lot more that we're bringing to our children than our parents did for us because they were in a time that they weren't allowed to or they were discouraged to to do so. You said a moment ago that this is one of the ways you're giving your ancestors a voice. And you, you talk about in the essay that... Your ancestors, your elders, your teachers also gave the plants a voice, you know, that they they would talk about the plants. Well, they didn't give the plants a voice. We're just taught that the plants already had a voice. Ah. I think it's like a shortwave radio. You know, if you're in tune, you can listen to different things that, you know, you might not have if you're not tuning in properly. And to me, that's in, in... 
a simple way of explaining how those plants, we're not giving them a voice. They already have one. We're just trying to tune into what they're saying. Okay, even even better. So, so share with us a little bit uh, some of the plants, some of the things you, you learn from them, some of the things that they say. Uh, some of the plants are very gentle, and when you almost feel like you need something soothing in your life, certain plants seem to present themselves um, to you by way of a different family member. Maybe you're out on your nature walk and, and something just calls to you. And I think we've all heard that saying, you know, something just calling to me. Well, in our culture, everything is alive. So sometimes when you hear a plant calling to you, it's not just a, a phrase. It's not just a saying. It, it's a truth that that plant is really talking to you. And many times that plant that's calling to you is actually trying to communicate with you. Um, they're so healing. They're just alive and they're present all over. But many of us walk, walk blindly throughout our day without listening. And so that's what I mean, you know, in simple terms by the shortwave radio. If you're not into, you're not going to hear what they're saying. But once you kind of get in tune with what you uh, need to hear from Mother Earth, from, from nature, those things, those voices, they actually become more um, loud. So can you share with us some, some ways that people might use to get in tune? I think the best suggestion would be to go outside, <laughs> to, to just go outside and be present. I think a lot of us are inside, we're by our computers or in a cubicle or we're in a space that doesn't even offer any type of um, connection. I always tell people, take off your shoes and actually feel what the earth feels like beneath your feet because it's, we're very disconnected. And in my culture, if you want to, to show your reverence you know, to Mother Earth, we actually get down on our knees and we put our forehead to the ground. And I feel like that's just a way of like bowing to just this amazing presence and that is dirt mm. that is the earth so what if you're living in a city and you don't really have access to that can can you uh, this is going to sound a little strange but i've mm -hmm. been in um you know farmers markets in in where i live but also uh, in in jerusalem and istanbul many many different places in india where the the vegetables are just brought in from the farm and there is a sense of aliveness to them can you can you hear i, I was just wondering about beans because you talk about beans being your best friends being our best mm -hmm. friends <laughs> you know when, when you see a big barrel full of beans at, a, at an open market even though they're not you know uh, connected they've been they've been harvested I still get a sense that there's a message there that they're saying something, not that I can understand it. Does it, can, can you get it but from I another? Yeah. I, I think what you're saying right now is exactly what I'm trying to help people get to. Um, just your description of what you see at the farmer's market and you're, you're trying to understand what they're saying, that it feels different than if you were just shopping in a, a traditional grocery store. Something about a plant being grown 
you know, with thoughtfulness and mindfulness and, and caring, those people that are picking those plants, they care about those plants. And they're being brought to the outdoor market and they're still outside. They're freshly picked. It's just very different than, um, say, something that's been shipped from Argentina on a airplane or on a, a ship and they've had this long voyage. They're exhausted by the time they get to our grocery store. So what you're feeling is they're just still in that sense of bliss, you know? Mm. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you relate the story you write about in the, in the magazine article, Learning the Personalities of Plants, about uh, in middle school and being called a beaner? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I think I was maybe third or grade, and um, I went to school in Phoenix, Arizona. And where I went to school was um, a very white school, and I... I had been called many things, but this was something that someone had called me, and I I knew from the way that they were calling me this word that it wasn't good, but I didn't quite understand what it meant, and clearly the child had heard it from their parents or someone else in their family, so um, I went home, and, and I remember taking the bus home and just thinking, you know, why did they call me that, you know? yeah, we do eat beans every day, but I like them. And, you know, I really thought to myself, this girl probably, you know, what does she eat at home every day? She was eating TV dinners and frozen dinners and frozen pizzas. And I just remember talking to my mom about it and she, you know, explained what that meant and um, just how much she actually loved beans herself. And she told me that when she was a little girl, she said, when I grow up, I don't want to ever eat beans again. She had had enough, you know, in her lifetime. And now that she's in her 70s, she says, you know, how silly that was to have said that so many years ago because she can't imagine not eating them every day because I do think it's something that we crave because it's such a part of our childhood. And that was kind of like the story. They're around every day, and, and they become your friends. And, and when you don't see your friends for a long time, you, you miss them. Yeah, I, I'm going to read the, the one sentence you say about this, because I thought it was just, it was just very beautiful. You, you write about this, this girl who called you that. You write, yes, I was going home to another pot of beans, but she was probably going home to another frozen lasagna. So, <laughs> you know, it's... It, I mean, in a sense, you are what you eat, right? If you're if you're eating, exactly. yeah, right. If you're eating these the way you're eating, your heart opens. It sounds like, though, you do talk about, and I and I I, I want to just bring this in, so it's not all, it's not all friendly beans. You talk about the pesky brother green chili, <laughs> and yes. that that made your grandfather curse and sweat. So tell us a little bit about why we need our pesky brother green chili. 
Well, I think there's always someone in the family that just really annoys you, <laughs> but they're your family and, and you, you know, you still welcome them in your home, even though, you know, you might roll your eyes or they might bother you. Um, they're still always welcome. And for me, like, I just think of Green Chili in that sense is that he's, all, you know, he's, he does, he, he gets you all upset sometimes and you might curse because you can't believe how hot it was and other times he wasn't that hot and you know like I said in the story I, I have a really good memory of my grandfather he would keep a little hanky in his pocket and and one time the chili had made him sweat so much he had to take that hanky out and he was kind of cursing under his breath because it had been too hot for him but we always you know, we get mad, but then there he is again tomorrow for breakfast. <laughs> he's pesky, but he's still your brother. Mm-hmm. But you also you also say that that uh, I mean, I'm going to read it because it's it's just nice the way you write. His fire, his not your grandfather, but the green chili. So his fi- his fiery temper somehow relieves my headaches. So is it is is there a med- medicinal quality to to green chili that way? Yeah, um, so green chili, it um, contains um, capsaicin, so it's like cayenne. You know, there's a lot of science actually behind um, eating different chilies, how they're really good for relieving pain and um, releasing endorphins. So, you know, even though chili is a a pain, he uh, actually can take your headaches away. He might cause you a headache at first because he's annoying, but then you, you take some more and he makes your headache go away. Oh, fabulous. So of all the things that you mentioned in the essay, the one that spoke to me most powerfully was Mother Blue Corn. And uh, I, I have a deep, oh, I don't know, regard for connection with uh Holy Mother, and and not simply Mother Earth, but the Divine Mother as as the Mother of all reality, and mm-hmm. it seems to be what I mean. You, you call blue corn, you know, the mother. So tell tell us more about about blue corn. Well, for the Pueblo people, blue corn is our mother. Uh, she is present in so many different ceremonies from the moment we're born until are passing to the next world. And for me, like she's just been present. And I think of that like this, um, like a a mother goddess, you know, she's always there, but she's there in in a very nurturing way. When I was writing this story, what came to mind were all of the times that she's been present for me. And they've all been through major passages of my life. And it's always been in, a beautiful way, like something in, like I said in the story with the Roboso, like kind of just taking you in and wrapping you up and just making you feel really safe and warm. And um, I can't think of what I'm trying to say. Just she, she encompasses everything that I think of as a mother and, and she just happens to be blue corn. Mm. Well, I, I was very, I mean, I love blue corn. I had no idea there was a connection between between uh, the corn and the mother. It was really very fascinating. If if people want to learn from you more about all of this fascinating stuff, I mean, the article is short. The, our conversation is short. Where can they go to to learn more? 
Well, on my website, uh, RuizSensei.com, I do all sorts of different uh, teachings here in Phoenix, where I live, but I also teach in other cities. Um, I give lectures. Um, I was most recently at the National Museum of the American Indian in uh, Washington, D.C., and I was privileged to sit on a panel with other women chefs and talk about our indigenous food sovereignty and the need for us to get back to our traditional foods for health and healing. So although I'm here in Phoenix, I try to be all over. You know, there's a lot of work for uh, our people in terms of getting their diet back to where we used to be before contact. Right, right. But also sharing that wisdom with, with the rest of us. So oh, of course. Yeah, we, yeah. The, the more everybody knows about our indigenous foods, um, the more healing that's going to take place for everyone. Absolutely. Well, that's a great place to leave it. So thank you very much. My guest today was Felicia Ruiz, a natural foods activist, traditional herbalist, health-based private chef. Her essay, Learning the Personalities of Plants, appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality Health magazine. You can learn more about her work on her website, ruizinplace.com. Felicia, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Support for this show comes from The Calling Academy, using research and online courses to empower people from all faiths and spiritual paths to live a full life. Learn how to answer your call at callingacademy.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.